Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. What can I say? What can I say that hasn't been said already? The Mets are in a free fall, it seems. I'll tell you, it's been a brutal week. Two out of three against Pittsburgh lost. Go to Texas, split the series. That's okay. But, wow, it was just uh, very disappointing to see Jacob DeGrom out there and not be able to perform up to the standards that he's shown in the past. And he looks like he's totally lost as well on the mound as everybody else. Now, on a good note, Zach Wheeler was sensational. He pitched seven strong innings, really looked good. And that's that's a good sign for this team. We need to get Zach going. But don't forget, he's on a so-called innings limit. So who knows what's going to happen with that. But he did look good. Mats and Lugo are scheduled to come back. Are they the answer? I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know. They could provide a boost. They may not. Alderson is in... Uh, don't know where they're playing, but he went to see Las Vegas play to see how Rosario is coming along. Should they bring him up? Yes. They have nothing to lose at this point. They are going downhill fast. Jose Reyes can't hit. I, I He's struggling so much. Uh, Cabrera can't field. His range is gone. I don't know if he got old all of a sudden. In a way, same thing with Walker at second. Last year, one of the strong points was up the middle with Walker and Cabrera. This year, not so much. Now, with Walker, I don't know if it's the back in surgery, that he's still not uh, giving it, uh, letting go completely, but it seems like his range is cut down. But Cabrera looks absolutely terrible. He's committed more errors already this season than he did the entire year last year. Something's got to be done. Do you move Walker to third and Cabrera to second? Do you move Cabrera to third, bring up Rosario, and let him play short? Rosario has to be here if nothing else is to give the fans something and a reason to go to a ball game. It's that simple. And then, of course, the big question becomes, did it become, are they buyers or sellers at the, uh, as we come into the trade market, so to speak? Still a little bit of a time. They can turn it around. But they have to make these decisions have to be made. And quite frankly, they should be talking about this now in the organization. 
among other things, questions that need to be answered in the organization. But that's one of the things. Are they going to be buyers or sellers or be both? Could they possibly move some of the pieces that they have to bring something back that could help them straighten it out now or next season? Like a Jay Bruce, a Neil Walker, a Lucas Duda. Or do you keep a guy like Duda and sign him and move somebody like a Dominic Smith in a package with somebody else like a Matt Harvey or something along that line? Maybe that's something you have to consider. Or a Lugo or a Gazelman. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks to see as we come up to the uh, the trade deadline. We have the amateur draft coming up next week, Monday, the 12th. We'll see what they draft, but that should have no impact at all on this team. But it's, it's, uh, it's something to watch and see who they draft, which direction did they go. Last year, they went with a lot of college guys. Guess with the anticipation of fast-tracking a few, first two picks were pitchers. One had Tommy John surgery, so he's out. Anthony Kay and Justin Dunn is pitching with Columbia. I believe he's still with Columbia. That's last year's picks. Let's see how what direction and how they go this year. As I said, last year they drafted a lot of college kids. So we'll see uh, if their move is back to high school kids or more in the college arena, if you will. All right, we got a a voicemail tonight and then a very uh, good guest coming on. So let's play the voicemails from our old friend Barry and uh, see what he says as he checks in for the first time this year. Hey, Gary, it's Barry, checking in for the first time in 2017, not coincidentally for episode number 286. Since the last time I sent a voicemail was for episode number 269, and, of course, 1986 and 1969 are the greatest Mets seasons. Again, I check in with some thoughts on the current state, or should I say dire straits of the Mets. Like I said last time, after the Mets signed Cespi and Walker, it assured that the Mets, unless they got absolutely decimated by injuries, would be a good team in 2017. Well, to say that they had been decimated would be an understatement. No need to go through all the injuries here, as anybody listening to this knows them already. But unfortunately, the players who have remained healthy and are not named Michael Conforto have underperformed, and the starting pitching left after the injuries and as I pretty much predicted on 269, the biggest entry being to Syndergaard has been awful. And on those days, the starting pitcher is decent. He is usually unable to get the game beyond the sixth inning, leaving what was a questionable bullpen to begin with having to get 9 to 12 outs almost every single game. Add in some very questionable moves by Terry Collins this year, and you were left with the Mets having one of the worst pitching staffs in the majors something that a few short months ago would have been unfathomable, but is now a reality. And, oh, yeah, how is Greg Holland doing? Rhetorical question. He leads the league and saves the last time I checked for the Rockies, one of the teams the Mets will have to chase down if they have a chance to get to the playoffs for an unprecedented third consecutive season. The injuries themselves and the way the Mets miscommunicate them between their medical staff, management, and ultimately 
the fans is nothing new. And did anyone with half a brain in the organization think it a good idea for Noah Syndergaard to put on 17 pounds of muscle in the off-season? Also, after he refused the MRI, after reporting he had a dead arm, how is he still allowed to take the mound? Old news now, but you have to wonder who is in charge and why are those people for these constant misdiagnoses that go back to them flying Ryan Church across the country with a concussion still employed by the Mets. Though he is a part of the strength and conditioning staff and an easy target, I do not just mean Ray Ramirez, but even if it is just as a fall guy, he must go after this season, and the entire strength and conditioning staff must be reevaluated and most likely overhauled. Continuing on, I am not ready to throw in the 2017 towel yet, simply because the National League, outside of the Nationals, Dodgers, and Cubs, it's filled with mediocre teams, and if the Mets get everyone back except Syndergaard and Jerry's Familia, they should have a decent enough roster to at least challenge for a wild card berth. Of course, that is a big if, and probably will not happen, but for them to have any chance, the ridiculous amount of injuries has to stop, and the team has to play much better. With the great pitching they had the past two seasons, their deficiencies were hidden, but they are very visible in 2017. Mainly I am talking about a below-average defense, but absolutely putrid this year. And unless Reyes and Oligars are in the lineup, they have no team speed. Also, and I did not think it possible, and I got this completely wrong, but Glenn Sherlock, as third-base coach, is worse than Tim Tuffle ever was. How many times has he sent a runner from third base only to have him thrown out at home plate by 15 to 20 feet or held up a base runner that would have scored? Well, that pretty much does it for me this time around, but in closing, I will remain cautiously optimistic, yet realistic at the same time. Since the season has two-thirds of it left, and the Mets made up a five-and-a-half game deficit as late as August 20th last year, they are not out of anything, at least as far as the wild card. But if they are staying the same position as they are now in about six weeks, still below 500, I would have no problem if they became sellers and began rebuilding a once-great farm system now left barren by all the trades, mostly good ones by Sandy. Anyway, Gary, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And thank you, Barry, for checking in. Uh, let's hit on a couple of the points. Uh, Terry's questionable moves, I, I think part of that could be that he had no other moves to make earlier in the year. And still, with the injuries, uh, does not have a full staff that he depends upon, and especially in the bullpen. So that could be part of the reason for that. But uh, I can foresee that uh, Terry will not be back next year, whether voluntarily or not. But I think he's going to retire, to be honest with you. But we'll see where that leaves. Uh, Syndergaard building on the muscle. I uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, he shouldn't have put it on. The problem with it is he put on the muscle but did not throw, and so there was nothing baseball-related. And then when he went to do some baseball-related stuff, something's got to give. You, you've got a tight muscle, used to going one way, and now all of a sudden it's doing something else, and it wasn't prepared for that, and I think that's his fault. 
Uh, I also think the same thing with Cespedes. Cespedes was working on his legs. He wanted to get his legs so strong. His video of him with a with a weight coach, and he's doing these leg presses like crazy, but he wasn't running. Now you have to make a movement. Now you have to stop and start. Now you have to turn. It's great if you want to be a bodybuilder to have these great leg muscles and all of this. And I'll reiterate what I've said before. I think these guys are in too good a shape. I think they're too muscle-bound. They all want to look like uh, Charles Atlas, and it's not working. And I think they have to reevaluate how they do this training. And I do agree that the strength coach... It's probably going to be the fall guy, but I don't think it's all his fault either. And I'm not sure it's the organization's fault when a guy goes home and puts 17 pounds on and they don't know about it. Now, perhaps they have to be more forceful and say, we are your employee, employer. You are our employee and this is what we want you to do in the off season. And I tell you what, I I, I go back to what uh, 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 Keith Hernandez always said. He never lifted a weight in the off season. The only thing he did was run to keep his legs in shape. And when he came to spring training, he got his body in baseball shape. And I think that's something these guys have to consider. The pitchers should be throwing every day in the offseason. Not hard, but they should be throwing to keep those arms stretched out and strong. Or maybe every other day. But this going to a mound and throwing a hard session is, is not working. It's not working at all. They should be throwing in the offseason Every day, long tossing, I believe, to keep those arms stretched out and to build up the strength and to build up endurance. And there should be more running. I'm not an expert on it, but I've been watching baseball a long time and you see things and, and you listen to experts and you know, some successful guys, this is how they train. And maybe the Mets have to look into something like that. Or the players have to look into their heads. It's great. You can come into shape, into into uh, uh, spring training in shape, but you don't have to be a muscle man. That's no good. You need flexibility in baseball. I don't know, maybe the men should institute that they've got to take Pilates or hot yoga or something or other. But they've got to get flexibility back and get rid of the uh, uh, the bodybuilding and all of this stuff because it's just not working. And to that, I believe they should have to uh, reevaluate their entire system. And I think uh, that it's time that we get a new pitching coach, too, because whatever methods he's using obviously aren't working. And we're getting still getting a lot of pitchers with injuries. So perhaps there's something in the whole organization. 
maybe they're coddling these guys too much, you know? And and maybe the emphasis on guys that throw the ball 100 miles an hour and neglecting the guys that know how to pitch in college or in high school, maybe that attitude's got to change. The same with the attitude of guys that hit home runs all the time. Maybe we got to get some slap hitters or hit guys that can hit instead of guys that just want to hit fly ball home runs all the time. And and this is throughout baseball, this epidemic now, with guys trying to hit with that uppercut and hit everything into the air. Uh, it's it, All it does is lead to a lot of pop-ups, in my estimation. What happened to hit a line drive, meet the ball, hit them where they ain't? I mean, you, you have a shift on and half the team is on one side and you hit into it. You're never going to get a hit that way. You got to bunt the ball. You got to try to hit it the other way. These are all lost arts now, but it doesn't start at the major league level. This has got to be, they've got to correct this problem in the minor league level. And, and as I said, it's an epidemic throughout baseball. I can get on my high horse and, and my soapbox <laughs> about that, but I'm sure nobody wants to hear it again. But I think baseball, this is something baseball has to look in the mirror. And the Mets and all the teams have to look in the mirror and see whether or not maybe all of these stats aren't good because it's getting these guys doing different things that they've done for a hundred and how many years? 140 years, 138 years of, of the game. Maybe now it's time to look back and, and go back in time and do things the way it used to be because it seemed to be a lot more successful than now with all of these sabermetrics and stuff. It's just creating havoc, in my opinion. All right, let's take a break and be back after this. Hey, baseball fans and book fans as well. This is Frank Nappy, author of the Legend of Mickey Tussler series, inviting all of you to learn more about my protagonist, Mickey Tussler, an incredible pitching prodigy who has autism. Follow Mickey's journey as he captures the hearts of fans everywhere with his blazing fastball and indomitable spirit. Please visit Amazon or www.franknappy.com for more information. Hi, this is the world-famous Mr. Brewtown of BrewtownSports.Potomatic.com. You know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, Plus. Uh, Brewtown Sports. You can also listen to the show at Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and iTunes.com. And we've got the new one. It's called BrewtownRadio.Webley.com. But the one that I'm most proud of being on is BaseballPodcast.net. It is the home of great baseball talk shows. Check it out, my show and all kinds of other programs all about Major League Baseball. So check it out. That's BaseballPodcast.net, the home for great baseball talk shows. The Phillies and Mets rivalry has never been better. Hi, my name is Rich Baxter, and I host Phillies Talk Podcast. I hope you'll join me as we talk all about the Phillies all season long. That's 
Phillies Talk podcast at fightinphillies.com. And now back to Gary Mack and this great edition of Mets Musings. Five one six six one nine six three four one. That is the comment voicemail hotline. If you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line, leave us a comment or a voicemail question, anything at all. Call that number five one six six one nine six three four one, or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen, and that's a speak pipe, and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone. Or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash Mets Musings, and the Twitter handle is at Mets Musings 1. And uh, if you'd uh, like to help out the show, check out our Patreon page. Check out the campaign at patreon.com slash Mets Musings. And joining me tonight is Patrick Nagel. He is a co-host of the Wrigleyville Nation Cubbies podcast and also uh, a, a member of the uh, blog site. Patrick, uh, welcome to Mets Musings. Thanks very much, Gary. How's it going? Uh, well, as you know, uh, it hasn't been going too good <laughs> for the Metsies this year, but uh, everything else is going fine best to be uh, uh, positive if you can, but um, Cubs are struggling a little bit themselves this year, though they have been playing better ball lately, but uh, I, I think uh, everybody thought they were going to you know, cruise through the uh, season again, and uh, it's not happening for them. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, The Cubs are sort of muddling around close to first place. I think they're half a game out right now. Uh, they were in first place before yesterday's game, but they are kind of playing more or less 500 ball. Fortunately for them, they're in a terrible division this year, or a pretty weak one. You've got the uh, the Cardinals really struggling. You've got the the Pirates with the Starlin Marte situa- situation, and then you've got you know some young teams like the Brewers and Reds that really just don't have the horses to carry you through you know for an entire season. So it, it's not really panic time right now, but there definitely is concern because. This team, and in particular the starting rotation, is not currently um, playoff ready, that's for certain. <laughs> well, you mentioned the Brewers, and they have been a big surprise this year, and they certainly can hit. Uh, and as you say, I don't think they have the, uh, especially I don't think they have the pitching to, to last the entire season, but they certainly have done pretty well so far. Yeah, they have, and... Um, They've got some some good younger players. They're sort of in a transitional phase right now, where uh, you know they've been uh, trading off assets and, and building a younger team. So they're a team definitely on the horizon that we're concerned about. But certainly, um, at least at this point of the season, we feel pretty confident that they're not a team that's gonna that's gonna compete with us, you know, down the stretch. And I think you you nailed it on the on the starting pitching, and they just it's just not there for them. I think. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they they have. They've had a couple that look good against the Mets, but I don't know what kind of barometer we can use for that, uh, the way the Mets are playing this year. But um, 
Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But as you said, the Cubbies are are there. They're in the mix. And it is a little bit surprising that that division has, you know, within a, really a, a year or so, has really gone from being a very good division to uh, a, a weak division other than the Cubbies. Yeah. In 2015, uh, the NL Central was the best division in baseball, one of the best divisions really in modern baseball. Mm -hmm. You had the Cardinals, who had over 100 wins. Then you had the Pirates with, I think, 98 wins, and the Cubs with 97 wins. So you had the three three best teams in the National League were in the, you know, Mm record-wise, were in the same division. And, uh, of course, we all know how that worked out. Uh, The Cubs ended up losing (laughs) to the Mets in the playoffs. But um, last year, the Cubs ran away with things. And the rest of the teams in the division were so far behind that, um, with the exception of the Cardinals, frankly, uh, everybody else just more or less gave up <laughs> and, uh, and started selling off uh, pieces. So, um, you know, the, the division was sort of a one-team a one, uh, wrecking crew last year. And, and now this year, uh, again, it's sort of still a transition. I, I would anticipate, you know, come next year, the NL Central will probably be better. I think the Reds will be better and the Brewers will continue to get better. Um, but for right now, um, it is sort of a, a pathetic wasteland of mediocrity. <laughs> and I, I really am surprised at, at the Cardinals because they usually come up with something uh, to uh, to be up there, but uh, they are certainly struggling this season. You can only sell your soul so many times. <laughs> well, as we said, the, the, the Cubbies got off to a, a, a slow start from what everybody thought. And um, What's the feeling there? Is it... Uh, is it a little bit of a, a World Series hangover? Uh, is it uh, that everybody gets up for them? Or did they play over their heads a little bit last year? Or is it a combination of everything? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you look at the run differential last year, the Cubs actually probably didn't win as many games as they should have. Um, they were just completely dominant. Mm-hmm. And they just they just uh, they crushed teams, uh, you know, all season long. So I don't think it's so much that they that they were sort of a not as good as they appeared. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to, at least from my vantage point, it starts with the starting pitching. Last year the Cubs had five starting pitchers who averaged over 30 starts each, and they only had nine games started all season by someone other than these five guys. And some of that was down the stretch when they were arresting people. Uh, and the five starting pitchers had a had a combined ERA under three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they had a combined whip under 1.1. So you're talking about a pretty dominant starting rotation last right. year, top to bottom. You know, And, and as, as a Mets person, you can appreciate the, the value of having dominant starting pitching. Right. Uh, and, and when you have that, you know, you win a lot of games 2-1 to one or 3-2 to two or even 1-0 to nothing on days when the offense isn't, isn't really uh, firing on all cylinders. And then with the Cubs offense, which was pretty prolific last year, you then would turn around and then you'd win 7-1, to 8-2, to 10-3, to the rest of the games. And that was a pretty good formula for success. Um, and they got off to that huge lead to start the season, um, and they just never looked back. So that was a, that was a winning strategy. The problem with this year uh, that the Cubs are having is that they don't have that, that sort of guaranteed starting pitching uh, um, advantage. 
despite the fact that you know four of their five starters have more or less pitched consistently throughout the year, although I guess Kyle Hendricks just got put on that 10-day DL today. But mm-hmm. um, what we're finding is that um, you know the the ERAs are up, uh, the WHIPs are up. People just aren't as sharp as they were last year. And I think part of that may be attributable to the fact that they pitched all those extra innings last year during the playoffs. Um, you know, the playoffs this year, when you go to Game 7 of a World Series, you really are playing pretty deep into the uh, into the season. It's it, Having not been that deep in the postseason in, in anyone's lifetime around here, you know, we'd kind of forgotten. <laughs> in fact, they didn't have a postseason of that nature you know, for us. So, so it was kind of a new experience for us, but, yeah. uh, but that said... Um, you know, from what what the players have said, and from what Joe Madden has said, you know, there there has been a little bit of a uh, probably a hangover effect from that. I mean, you've got guys like John Lester who threw an extra thirty five point two innings just in the playoffs alone. Right. You know, and the other starting pitchers who are throwing, um, you know, multiple uh, multiple postseason innings. So, um, you know, you taking that into consideration. Um, they're just not quite as sharp right now. Hopefully that'll turn around, although, you know, in all honesty, John Lackey, uh, who was their fourth starter last year, does look like he, uh, somebody said he, he looks like he's uh, got a, a leak and the oil is coming out. You know, he's like 38 <laughs> years old or 39 years old. And, and he just, uh, I mean, I was at the game last night, and he still strikes out a lot of batters, but boy, um, he just, when they hit him, they hit him pretty hard. You know, he gives up a lot of hard contact and just doesn't seem to be the pitcher he's been most of his career. I mean, I think he's pretty much, you know, at the end here and his, his ERA of five twelve is sort of demonstrative of that. And, uh, his home runs are up and his hits are up. So he's a guy who I really don't want to see starting a playoff game. If you have to have four guys start a playoff game. And if you basically at this point, you have to hope that Lester and Arietta and Hendricks, you know, sort it out and that they're there down the stretch and they're ready for the playoffs because if they're not you might as well just pack it in anyway there's nothing you can do about that but but what you really need right now is a, is another guy a fourth guy either a, a fourth starter or, or a third starter you know pushing somebody else down but somebody else in the mix there because uh, after those three guys uh, who who themselves are not as sharp as, as they typically are it's been it's been pretty brutal well you mentioned uh, about the uh innings pitch and the extra innings going into uh the uh playoffs and everything and and that's kind of reminiscent of what happened with the giants maybe that's why the giants were you know they won one year and the next year uh, barely made the playoffs or didn't make the playoffs and then the following year they won again you know um so i i think there's some truth behind that and that's not to say that the cubs are not going to make the playoff chicago fans uh but uh you know, it 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 is a telling statistic, and um, uh, talking about the pitching some more. Uh, Lester has struggled. He's at three and three with a three point nine one ERA, I believe, and and Arietta has not been the same pitcher this year. No, he really hasn't been the same pitcher since about July of last year. Um, prior to July of last year, he was he had gone through a period of about about a two-year period, if you count all of 15 and part of 14 and the first part of 16, where he was, you know, one of the great, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And, of mm-hmm. course, in 2015, probably had probably, if not the greatest, one of the top two greatest second halves in the history of baseball. Um, and then, you know, he started 
having this annoying habit of walking more batters in the second half of last year. And he also had some, ran into some bad luck where he tended to give up three-run home runs a lot. Um, never solo home runs, just three-run home runs. <laughs> and, uh, and, and to that effect, you know, maybe his numbers, his area was a little overinflated at that point. But you saw also in the playoffs the same thing happened. I mean, I think it might have been against the Giants. There was a game where he was virtually unhittable. No, he had a no-hitter going, I think, in the sixth inning. But he had walked like five or six guys. <laughs> and they, they ended up having to take him out because he threw him too many pitches. Yeah. That's sort of the the thing that he's been struggling with is is uh, is walking uh, more batters than than typical. Now this year um, he's kind of getting his interestingly enough um, he's getting his walks down a little bit better, but he's now giving up more hits than he used to. He was a guy who led the league in the fewest hits per nine innings both in 2015 and 2016. He was just like I said, if, if unless he walked you, you know you were not going to beat him. Well, this year he's giving up nine point six hits per nine innings, which yeah, is that's a lot. Or I think nine 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 per nine innings. Mm-hmm. So that's one an inning, which is for him way higher than the five and a half or five whatever that he was giving up before. So he's become more hittable this year, uh, and he's definitely uh, I think that's definitely had an effect on on his uh, on his ERA and, and his overall performance. So he needs to figure that out um, because the Cubs have to have him. You know, at least be a number three quality starter. You would think come playoff time. And he's in a walk year, I believe, isn't he? He is. Yeah, yeah, he is. In a, he, this is his the last year in his contract, and you know, you know this. And this happens sometimes with with players. You know, it happened with uh, Ian Desmond with uh, Washington and some other guys. You know, you get you start talking contract negotiations, and maybe the team offers you a deal, and you don't think it's good enough. Careful what you ask for, because you know the way he's going this year. You know he's losing, and maybe part of that is part of the pressure he's facing is the fact that he's he's losing like tens of millions of dollars every sure. month on his next contract. The way things are going, and that, what a shame! But I guess you know we we don't love to be in that position. I guess. Well, and and you know let's let's see. Uh, you know I, I would like him to uh, turn it around because if he does have a strong you know next four months, I'm sure the market will, especially next year's market seems pretty soft. I think it'll reemerge for him, and and that could uh, you know let that be his motivation for the rest of this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, also some of the offense has been struggling as well. Uh, uh, ben Zobrist has been having uh, not the best of years, hitting two twenty eight. I think the last I looked. Uh, Schwaber is uh, struggling. Even Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo are not having um, great years, putting up the big, big numbers. So um, has that been an effect on the team as well? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you know, Bryant's been pretty good. He's got a 920 OPS, so I'm not too worried about him. Um, Rizzo and Schwaber and Zobrist and um, – and even um, Bryant, to an extent. Uh, the, 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 the thing about them is when you look at their numbers, you look at their batting averages, and they're pretty brutal. Like, you see Rizzo's hitting 242, Bryant's hitting 268, Schwarber's hitting 175, which is really bad, mm. and Zobris is a 228. And you say, well, that's terrible. But then you look at their walks, and all four of those guys walk a lot. So Rizzo with a 242 batting average, his on-base percentage is 375, <laughs> which is... Excellent, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that helps 
Uh, same thing with uh, with Bryant. You know, his his on base is three eighty nine. I mean, those are great numbers. And even even Schwarber with his pathetic one seventy five batting average <laughs> has an on base percentage of two ninety seven, you know, which makes a big difference. And and uh, Zobris goes from a two twenty eight average to a three thirty five on base percentage. So they they do get on base at least, which is uh, which has been helpful. But you're right in that they uh, they're not really hitting at their peak yet. And recently, just the last couple of days, you've seen Rizzo and Schwarber kind of start heating up again. And I think that could pay big dividends for the Cubs because they've they've managed to struggle along here, a couple games over 500, right around hovering right around first base, without any of their offensive players really kind of going through the hot phases that you would anticipate. So I think you know as the weather is now warming up, that's something that we can expect. And something that um, Cubs fans will be happy to see. Um, and if it doesn't happen, then we're in trouble. <laughs> well, I still think you'll make the playoffs the way the National League's been going so far. So I don't think there's a a, a big problem in that that aspect of it. But continuing on, maybe um, Schwarber hit the uh, grand slam the other night, and that uh, I think uh, that excited a lot of people, thinking that he is going to start uh, heating up. And he he has ten home runs, so it hasn't been. Yeah. You know, for 175, I guess, and 10 homers, it's not all that bad. Yeah, I mean, he had a homer last night and two doubles, which were nice. It's nice to see that. He's only got a, he's got 189 at bats. Um, so, you know, when you look at that, you say, well, you know, he's been, you know, somewhat productive. For he's he's been one of the more productive 175 hitters. You'll see. How about that? <laughs> um, but uh, but you do think. Um, there's there's a lot of room to move on on the average. Um, he's got a great eye, and one of the things about Schwarber that is a little bit, um, uh, I think, uh, reassuring. And this is something that you know there's a conversation Cubs fans are having about a couple days ago, actually even a week ago, about whether he should be sent down to AAA or not. And uh, and my reason for thinking that that was not a good idea. This is, of course, right before he hit the Grand Slam to beat the Cardinals and then go on this mini tear he's been on. But the, the main reason was when he's at the plate, unlike some other young players who are really struggling, he wasn't giving up at bats easily. He wasn't going up there swinging at two terrible pitches, falling down 0-2 and, and never being able to recover. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the kind of guy who's just flailing away or guessing on every pitch. He has very good, if not maybe the best, um, strike zone uh, command on the team. And that's saying a lot because... Zobrist and Rizzo and Bryant all have excellent command of the strike zone, and that's something that you know Theo Epstein preaches and the whole organization preaches. And they specifically go out to get players and and to mold a team with players who who have that kind of good strike zone uh, understanding and plate discipline. And Schwarber falls into that category. And even his his average was down to the 160s, of, you know, uh, a couple days ago. But even then, you know, he was he was doing the same thing in his at-bats, and he was taking balls and, and following pitches off and, and doing the things that you that you would expect a, a veteran player to do uh, to get good quality at-bats. So that was always and, and continues to be the reason why I think you'll see him uh, improve. His, his uh, batting average on balls in play is like 200, which is ridiculously low for somebody who um, you know hits the ball as hard as he does. So you know he contributed a little bit of it to bad luck, too. So... I think that'll start to even out as the season continues. And do you think that the the move to have him uh, lead off would that uh, play a part in any of that? Did that bother him at all? Or because he, and he's really not your traditional leadoff hitter by any no, means. No, he certainly is not your traditional leadoff hitter. Um, it, it felt weird, you know. I mean, you've got this guy 
who's like 235 pounds, <laughs> who, who doesn't run particularly fast, who bashes the ball, but also who draws walks. I mean, the reason why he was put in that leadoff spot is because, you know, he's got that great uh, eye, and, and they saw him as an on-base guy. But I do think that um, having him lower in the lineup uh, probably uh, provides more balance. I mean, as a left-handed hit power hitter, you know, you've got Rizzo, and you've got him, and, and those are two really nice left-handed power hitters to kind of mix into your lineup to, to give other teams fits. Lately, Schwarber's been batting, uh, the last couple of days, he's been batting ninth, of all things, uh, after the pitcher. And, uh, you know, so they've been moving him around a little bit. But I think ultimately, you know, if, if this were like 1990s baseball or 1980s baseball, you'd say, well, he's like a five-place hitter, you yeah, know? Yeah. He's the guy, you'd, you'd probably have like Rizzo in the three-spot, and then you'd have Brian in the fourth spot, and he'd bat fifth. And that would be sort of your traditional, you know, thumpers in the middle of the lineup kind of thing. Lefty, righty, lefty. And uh, But, you know, in, in the modern era, there's also the, the, the thought of get your best hitters as many at-bats as possible. So you see Chris Bryant batting second, you know, a lot of times. And it's just been weird getting used to having everybody bat higher in the order. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that, that batting leadoff, while you're also struggling, was not helpful to him. So the fact that they've uh, they've kind of gone away from that, I think, is is a positive and has given him the opportunity to probably, um, you know, play a little bit looser farther down in the order. And uh, you mentioned uh, a while ago about the, um, the the team ERA last year, and this year I think it's around a four. So yeah. it's, it's almost about uh, a run and, and a half more than it was last year for the team. Uh, how is the bullpen um, this year holding up? You don't have Chapman. Well, you only got Chapman um, towards the the uh, middle after the trading deadline yeah. or at the trading it's deadline. Chapman for, for two months and then every playoff game. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> well, they had to get their money's worth out of them, right? <laughs> well, they sure did. I mean, they gave up a great prospect to get them. I'm sure the Yankees fans out there will can attest to that. But, but they, they absolutely um, – used him for everything they could get. Um, and that was the deal, and it worked. So I'm not going to complain. You know, I'll take my World Series championship and, and go home. <laughs> and go but, home. <laughs> um, over the offseason this year, the Cubs, without Chapman, were um, were in need of another closer. And they went out and they traded one of their sort of, not younger anymore, but one of their, their prospects who had been at the major league level for a couple of years, Jorge Soler, the, the Cuban import that they had purchased. Mm-hmm. Who I think is 25 years old or so, and they um, they traded him straight up for Wade Davis from Kansas City, and thank goodness they did because uh, Davis has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's pitched 21 games, given up two earned runs. He's got an ERA of 0.89, and uh, he saved 12 games, 12 games and 12 opportunities. I mean, it really is sort of the definition of a closer. Mm-hmm. And I would. Uh, I would be frightened to think where the Cubs would be this year without Wade Davis in the back end of the bullpen because, you know, when you're only a couple games over 500 and you're struggling in other areas, the last thing you want to do is start blowing saves. And uh, and the only time that's really happened this year where the Cubs have blown a game in the ninth inning was uh, against the Yankees, actually, on that Friday game at Wrigley when uh, Davis had pitched like four days in a row and they had to bring in um, Hector Rondon to pitch the ninth because they didn't want to use Davis yet another day. And Rondon blew the save, but but by and large, Davis has been um, absolutely fantastic. And they've got another young pitcher, uh, C.J. Edwards, Carl Edwards, uh, who 
you know, played last year for the second half of the season with the major league team, played in the World Series, actually came in and uh, and recorded the first two outs of the ninth inning before um, Montgomery came in and get the, got the final out against the Indians. But uh, Edwards has an ERA of 0.79. He's been the setup man, and uh, and he's been you know even even slightly more lights out than Wade Davis. And together, they are the best one-two pitching combination, bullpen combination the Cubs have had in history. Well, I saw, so, Ed, uh, saw Edwards the other night on the ESPN game, and he was uh, uh, lights out and uh, a tall, thin guy. Uh, really, he is. you don't think he can. Uh, uh, he'll hold up or something, but um, he, he, it almost looks like a good breeze would blow him off the mound, but boy, he can bring it. So when he came up, he was a starting pitcher. And um, and the comparison that a lot of people drew to him was the oil can Boyd. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Uh, from yeah. Red Sox many years ago. Right. Uh, and that was that was sort of the way uh, you know he was perceived. Um, he came over to the Cubs, by the way, uh, from the Rangers in the trade uh, for Matt Garza a couple years ago. So in, back in 2013, one of the great Theo Epstein trades. But Edwards uh, is a is a slight guy, so they they transition him from a, a starter to a to a reliever. But he's got electric stuff. Yeah. And last year, uh, next to Chapman, uh, Edwards had gave up the fewest hits per nine innings of anybody on the team. This year, uh, he must be number one. He's given up. He averages uh, two point four hits per nine innings. Uh, he's only given up six <laughs> hits in twenty two point two innings total, wow. which is ridiculous. Yeah. The only way he ever gets himself in trouble, and, and he did this in Game 7 of the World Series, was uh, he sometimes he gets in these stretches where he walks people. And he's got 11 walks this year. And, you know, if he can ever get his walks uh, in just in order, you know, 4.4 walks per nine is a little bit high for a closer caliber guy. If he can just get that down a little bit, his unhittableness in combination would make him one of the most dominant uh, relief pitchers in baseball. And he strikes out a ton of guys, too. So... He's just he's got electric stuff. He's very hard to hit. So he and uh, Davis have been the cornerstone of the bullpen. Uh, Pedro Strope has been fine. Koji Uhara has been fine. Mike Montgomery's been very good. Brian Dunzing's been okay. Uh, I mean, by okay, I mean these guys have ERAs in the twos and the low threes. Hector Rondon's the only one who's really struggled. He's got a 4.57 ERA, but the bullpen by and large has been. Uh, has not been the problem for the team. The, the problem has been the, uh, the starting pitching. And uh, in in that regards, part of the, the talk uh, here in New York is that uh, the starting pitching that we we counted on so heavily has not come through um, due to numerous reasons, injuries, and whatnot. Uh, but uh, the length of uh, their appearances have been very short and has really taxed our bullpen. And I'm just wondering, how, uh, how will the starters, are you getting length out of your starters uh, with the Cubbies this year and uh, that's keeping the bullpen fresh? Well, you know, they get decent length out of their starters. Obviously, you'd like a little bit more right now. Um, than what they get, but even even guys like Lackey, uh, as bad as he's been, you know he can gut his way through games and, mm-hmm. and give you you know six innings usually. Um, so um, that hasn't been quite as big of an issue yet. Um, and they've also been able to bring up several guys from from the minors for short stints to pitch in the uh, in the bullpen. But yeah, I mean they haven't had the situation like we don't have the uh, you know the 
Syndergaard, Matt's, you know, you know, out for, you know, many months, if not the whole season kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And then, and then have to rely on like straight up, you know, uh, you know, rookie starters or guys who, you know, are going to get knocked out in the third or fourth inning. We haven't had that right. problem yet. Right. Well, we've had. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, as a as a purveyor of fantasy baseball too, I can tell you, uh, I had Matt Harvey on several of my teams, and that has not been particularly uh, a sound decision on my yeah. part. Yeah, I, I just can't believe that he can be this bad. I keep waiting for him to turn it around because I remember how great he was, but that guy's getting clocked left yeah, and right. He yeah. walks guys, he gives up hits. He just it's terrible. It's it's a big question mark, and it's a shock even to us. But uh, you know, uh, part of the thing is we don't know much about the thoracic outlet surgery, whether that's affecting in any way. He says he feels fine. He says the uh, in fact he says he's never thrown the ball better. The ball feels fine coming out of his hand. Uh, he's got no pain, n- nothing along that line, and. I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know if his mechanics, I don't know if his head screwed up. Uh, you know, he did have that little incident with the supermodel, and uh, uh, I've said on the show, you know, get a nice librarian girlfriend or something, you know? Uh, stay away from the supermodels because it doesn't seem to be paying off for you. And uh, it's just, it, it's a big question mark. Even Jacob deGrom has been getting hit hard. The last I cup. saw that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you took the Mets four starters from that uh, awful Cubs playoff series in 2015, and you have Degroom, Harvey, Mats, and Syndergaard, two of the guys are out hurt. Mm-hmm. The other two guys are, are nowhere near what they were back then. I mean, Degroom was virtually unhittable, and now he's very hittable. Well, I think it's a it's a mechanics problem. It seems like he's he's opening up. Uh, too soon and and the uh, ball is just not coming out and he's not getting the movement that he used to uh, his left side's opening so um, they've been working on that we'll see pitched two starts ago he was uh, unhittable again as, as you say uh, he looked like the old DeGrom and then uh, the last two starts it was just the, it, the the other day it was like batting practice it was just horrible Yeah, and it becomes you know uh you can know as being a lifelong Cub fan that it gets difficult to watch sometimes. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so how was the feeling, uh, if you go back in time and you remember, how was the feeling when that third out of Game 7 came about? So the the World Series was a, uh, the final out of the World Series was a real sense of relief, almost shocking relief, uh, because that's not the way things work for the Cubs. They, they are the team that it fails, I would I can remember being at the, quote, Bartman game back in 2003. I remember having the best record in baseball in 2008 and getting swept by the Dodgers. I mean, this is the 84, when I was a child, the 84 series when the Cubs, you know, had the 2-0 lead mm-hmm. off the Padres and lost three in a row. That's what the Cubs have come to expect, and Cubs fans. But all of a sudden, in the first round of the playoffs, the Cubs have the greatest ninth inning comeback in uh, playoff history and beat the uh, the Giants to to clinch the first series. Then you got a Mel, uh, uh, you have a, a Miguel Montero Grand Slam uh, against the Dodgers, and then you beat Kershaw to clinch the pennant. Uh, and then you go to the World Series, and you know you down three games to one. We kind of expected, well, this is sort of what normally happens to the Cubs. This is the end. And I went with my dad to the game five, and you know he was born two weeks before the Cubs. Uh, clinched the the pennant in 1945, so 
you know, he had never seen the Cubs in the World Series. Uh, <laughs> and the Cubs managed to, uh, you know, with Aroldis Chapman pitching two and two-thirds innings, they managed to win the game, uh, a tight game, and it makes it a 3-2 series. Then they get a huge lead in game six, and they hold on to it <laughs> to, to tie it up. <laughs> and a friend and I uh, decided we made this pact that we would drive out to Cleveland if that happened. So we did, and we went to game seven. And and the feeling of exuberance when Fowler let off at the home run and the Cubs built this big lead was just unbelievable. Only to be matched by the absolute despair of the Rasha Davis home run off of Chapman <laughs> to tie the game. And uh, and then we had the rain delay. And I remember I called my dad on the phone and I said, you know, this is terrible. It's I, I can't believe I came out here. I'm such a sucker. It's it's just like Charlie Brown. You know, the football's there, and every time I go to kick it, they Lucy pulls it away. And that's exactly how I felt uh, at that moment in time. It was just, you know, it was, it was really, it was just really depressing. And then after that rain delay, the Cubs come out and, and score a couple runs. And then in the ninth inning, they give one of them back, you know, walk people, of course. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, finally that ball, uh, we were behind the first base side. So we were watching as, as Brian picks up the ball at their base and throws it over to Rizzo. And thankful he didn't throw it away. <laughs> and Rizzo catches it. And my friend and I, who shared season tickets for years and years, looked at each other, and we were just, we were just like, it was just this, this shocked, like it couldn't possibly be the case. It was the most amazing thing, and it was just absolute pandemonium for the rest of the night. And uh, tons of Cubs fans there, so we celebrated until the wee hours of the morning, uh, and then some. But it just, it, it took a couple days, frankly, even. Even during the parade, two days later, it was still like it hadn't really sunk in that they that we finally done this because it's something we've been rooting for and hoping for and fighting for for basically our entire childhood and adult lives and and, and to have it happen like that was just um, so uncub like. Now, has it? Um, let's see. How can I word this? Uh, has it changed anything about the Cubs? I mean. Uh, you know, around baseball, the Cubs were always the lovable losers, and and everybody wanted to go to Wrigley Field because it was a great place to go, and that sort of thing. Um, has it has that feeling changed at all for Cub fans? You know, I think Cubs fans, um, and, and it wasn't even just this year. I think you know when Theo Epstein came on board and they tore things down and they started to start from scratch. I think the Cubs have had kind of got over the whole lovable loser thing. There, there there, wasn't really much of a desire to be losers anymore. Mm-hmm. The, there was a desire to be winners. And um, and I think if you were to ask Cup fans, you know, obviously they're happy to be winners. And, you know, we're we're ad- adapting to our new persona, I guess. <laughs> but um, but it's, it hasn't been, it hasn't been, you know, there, there's no sort of, um, there's no nostalgia for, for when we, we're bad for all those years. You know, the, there really isn't. It's, it's more of a, um, we're thankful that we've won and now we want to keep on winning. And that's sort of the atmosphere people have. It's, it's about time, frankly. Right. Um, but it, it, it will change from now on. The fact that, you know, the Cubs fans will never again be satisfied with, uh, with not winning world series. And, you know, you know, winning the pennant will be great, but you know, once you've won once, you know, you've always got that expectation or that hope out there. And it's not like it's, you know, it's almost like last year was like, are we asking for too much? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, that will not be a feeling in the future. Right, right. 
Well, uh, good luck to the Cubs this year, and uh, I want to thank you so much, Patrick, for coming on tonight, and this has been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope we give you a, a little bit of a series here. Uh, I'm hoping that the Mets can straighten things out and at least play uh, some better ball, and uh, uh, my first goal would to, to, would be to get back to 500, and, and don't worry about the playoffs at this time, but uh, uh, good luck to the Cubs the rest of the year. Well, I appreciate it, and I'm actually coming out to New York Sunday night, and I'll be at the game on Monday. So um, I'm certainly hoping that DeGroom is pitching batting practice because I know John Lackey will be, <laughs> and uh, and I think that could be that that has the possibility of being a high scoring game. So we could have one of those twelve eleven games. <laughs> I'd be happy with that as long as the Cubs get the twelve. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, thanks so much for coming on, and, and uh, give us your website. Sure. Uh, we are at uh, WrigleyvilleNation.com. Uh, you can follow us on the website. We're also on Facebook. Um, and we are also on Twitter at WrigleyvilleNat. Uh, Twitter doesn't allow you the, enough space, <laughs> enough characters for the whole yeah. thing. But WrigleyvilleNat, we, uh, we, uh, we do a lot of tweeting. Uh, we certainly do a lot of Facebooking at Wrigleyville Nation. We've got the website. And then we've got the uh, podcast that you can access through any of those vehicles, including... Um, you know, any of the, um, uh, the iTunes, you know, type of, uh, uh, podcatchers. Okay. And, uh, I urge everybody to go check out those sites and, uh, take a listen to the podcast. It's a really a good uh, podcast and, and thanks again, Patrick. And we will be back right after this. Five one six six one nine six three four one. That is the comment voicemail hotline. If you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line, leave us a comment or a voicemail question, anything at all. Call that number five one six six one nine six three four one, or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen, and that's a speak pipe, and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone. Or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash Mets Musings, and the Twitter handle is at Mets Musings 1. And uh, if you'd uh, like to help out the show, check out our Patreon page. Check out the campaign at patreon.com slash Mets Musings. And we're back, and uh, just wanted to remind everybody that the uh, the Mets will be spending a weekend in Atlanta with four games there, doubleheader, uh, making up a rainout game, and then come home for that Cubs series. And then it doesn't get any easier, folks, as the Nationals come into town, and then the Mets head out to see <laughs> to play the Dodgers. So. It, it's it's going to be a rough road. It's going to be very tough unless Mats and Lugo can really uh, spark this team and, and uh, get them rolling again, and perhaps uh, some good pitching will do that. I want to thank uh, Patrick Nagel and, uh, for coming on tonight and also Barry for dropping in 
uh, a voicemail and uh, visiting with us <laughs> for a brief period of time. Well, that does it for this edition of the podcast. This edition is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. If you would like to help in keeping this podcast going, I urge you to check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash metsmusings. So thanks for listening to this episode, and until next time, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets! <laughs>